Okay, welcome back to School of Science Radio. Um, I'm Matthew Chandler. Gina's still away enjoying his honeymoon, um, but uh, we've got a great Everton game to talk about this week in the company of uh, Calvin from RBM. Uh, Calvin, firstly, thanks for, for stepping in for Gino. How are you doing today? Good, good. Uh, no. yep. Yeah, it's um, slightly more, I guess, upbeat, hopefully, than... Uh, <laughs> Conversation me and Brian Foley had last Monday after after Brighton, albeit same end result points wise for Everton. But um, yeah, yeah, we'll get straight into it. We've got a few bits and bobs to talk about later about uh, the Everton USA event uh, and then obviously the Super League fallout. Yeah, weekend. But we'll start with the Friday, which seems like ages ago now. This game feels like so much has happened (laughs) since then. Um, Obviously, a 2 2 draw with Tottenham for Everton um, at Goodison Park on Friday. Uh, three changes Pickford for Olsen it will be for I guess you could say Mina in a sort of change sure. of shape and then Alan uh, probably for Coleman I guess you could say um, mm-hmm. so kind of like a, a back five with a Dean and a Wobie as kind of auxiliary wing backs yeah. uh, and then Richardson kind of flanked by Sigurdsson and Rodriguez up front um, he obviously fell behind through Harry Kane then equalised to Sigurdsson from the spot pretty soon after that, and then go ahead to win my probably one of the nicest goals ever scored this season. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, only for Harry Kane to punish another <laughs> defensive mistake about as quickly after we scored as 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 we equalised after Kane scored. Um, let's get into the game then. I mean, first of all, Calvin, like the way Everton set up, Ancelotti had a bit more choice, I guess, in the Brighton game because we had players like. Um, Allen back, Pickford back, uh, yeah. Josh King back. King. Any kind of okay. complaints from you about the way that we, we, we sort of set up for this game? No, not at all. Um, and and I, I've been pretty vocal about giving uh, Ancelotti some stick in the past about you know, lineups and tactics, but I think he approached this game perfectly. I, I think um, having played Spurs now for the third time this season, I, I think Ancelotti kind of knew what to expect. Um, I, I will say I was surprised Mourinho went as defensive as he did with his own setup. Um, really strange. And obviously, considering the news that we know about Mourinho now, it's like, what is that? Again, Spurs have their own things to deal with, but I thought Ancelotti approached this perfectly. I, I don't think I would have done anything different. Um, having Alan in and fit just I think just all completely opens up the playbook for Ancelotti right I think he can uh he, he can he can take his pick of formations he can take his pick of uh whether he wants to be aggressive in how we set up uh so yeah having Alan back and just it, it gives that squad balance I think that's a term uh, Ancelotti has used and I, and I and I and I bring it up again having him back in there just gives the team balance both defensively in attack and in, in terms of formations too I feel like we'll probably see Alan back to his absolute best next season now. I feel like he, I yeah. thought he was very good on Friday. I still think maybe, you know, he needs, it feels a bit stop start since he came back from his, his first injury because obviously he, he came out again. And yeah. We had a pretty hard run of games in terms of, you know, the, the lack of time between them at first. Uh, but no, yeah. I thought he was very good. Um, Marshalling that midfield. Um, Thought Gilfie Sigerson obviously will kind of take the headlines with his two goals. I thought he linked up really well with with uh, with Seamus Coleman for that game for that goal, and also uh, Rodriguez and Richard and 
well, less so with Charleston. I think with Charleston was kind of, uh, I don't think you could fault his effort on Friday. I just think, um, I thought, I feel he looks more isolated without Dominic Calvert-Lewin to yeah. partner him. Um, I don't think he's particularly useful as a lone striker. Um, no. And I, f- I feel like sometimes, I feel like James Rodriguez would be probably, we'd probably make more use out of James Rodriguez's play if we had more players kind of on his wavelength. And I think it was kind of like that on on uh, yeah. Friday where you've got Rodriguez just always feels like one step ahead <laughs> of everyone, <laughs> um, which is not his fault at all. He was obviously... No, no. Um, so, so it was interesting, right? So Sigurdsson, right? He, he shows up about once every five games, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I think he loves playing Spurs. I, I think there's that added motivation of being uh, his former team. So... Oh, yeah, he definitely looked energized. He looked like a completely different Sigurdsson. He looked like a Sigurdsson, I think, from his first season at Everton when he was a top scorer at the club, right? Um, his one-touch passes were all clicking, and him and Hamas, yeah, they, just, they felt like they were in the same wavelength. I think between the two of them, they could have easily had another handful of goals. Um, I'm thinking about that uh, touch pass he played, Hamas threw in on goal that Loris saved. Um, yeah, Hamas. Uh, uh, I'm sure this is the kind of football Hamas wants to be playing, right? Um, so again, I think the onus is on Everton to ensure he's surrounded by that kind of player. Um, and yeah, I think um, Ancelotti called it the best home performance of the season, or probably the best home performance of the season afterwards. Um, I don't know if I would go that far. I felt like it was kind. Of, I, I the piece I wrote for the site afterwards was that it kind of felt. It epitomised the whole season in terms of we had really encouraging <laughs> moments, really, really, um, you know, progressive, dynamic, yeah. in in spells, kind of ground ground it out at other parts, but also also kind of ultimately, kind of felt like we were undone by our own kind of self inflicted wounds yeah. with the defending, and also the the way we kind of fizzled out at the end. You know, we didn't apart from that one Josh King. Chance and the Charles Chance, right. yeah. didn't really feel like we had much left in the tank after Tottenham equalised. Um, how did you? So I mean, <laughs> where, where would you would you go along with that, or do you feel like maybe we, we deserve more credit for? Because the general consensus I got was that everyone felt really disappointed with the result in this one, even if the even if <laughs> more heartened by by the performance. So I, I think if you so go, going back to what Ancelotti said about best home game of the season, um, maybe a bit of a stretch. But then when you think about how how awful we've been at home, right, in yeah. recent weeks, um, I, I think by that standard, absolutely, yeah, I think we're, I'd say best home game of twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Not, not counting the FA Cup game against the same opponents, Spurs, yeah. right. I, I, I'd say, I think from an entertainment value, that one, obviously, and the fact that we won, uh, you know, I, I think would take the cake. I, I think it's just interesting, the Everton we've seen over the last three weeks, right? Um, against Palace, I think we, we definitely, I, I think we deserve to win that game. I think we made enough chances to win that one. I, I think Angelotti was trying to grind out a 1-0 on that one. Uh, yeah. and, and then we got bit. Um, we were outclassed against Brighton. They, they played us off the park. There's, there's just no you know, mincing words about that one. And again, whatever the reasons might be, right? We had players out, we, uh, whatever, we didn't seem to set up in the right way. <clears throat> and then I think we deserved to win against Spurs. I, I think we created enough. I, I really think we, we, we played well enough. Yeah. We created enough to win. And, and in all honesty, had we beaten Palace, beaten Spurs, 
Wolves and lost to Brighton, we would have probably yeah. all felt much better and been yeah. three points better off than we are too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the the thing I would obviously, like I said, it was just the the defensive lapses, wasn't it? Because other than that, they hit the post later on. But I don't think Jordan Pickford had anything to do, really, did he? Yeah. No, no. Can blame him for either the goals. I mean, no. I would. I I think the only fault with with the defense and this kind of goes back to the setup is, um. I, I don't think Michael Keane is uh, particularly adept at playing in a back three. Um, I don't think... It's weird because you'd think, you know, a more sort of agile... Not agile, but speedy defender like Godfrey or Holgate around him would kind of compensate for his lack of pace. Right. But actually, he seems to work best when he's alongside uh, Yerry Mina in a back two. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know why it does... I don't know why with Keane... I mean, Keane has a lot of these games, doesn't he, where I play well for five games in a row or something, and then kind of crumble pretty crumble, pretty dramatically right, another right. one. Um, I mean, what do you put it down to on Friday? Do you think it was just miscommunication with Holgate? Do you think he's, he's ill-suited to the system? Do you think... Um, yeah. So, you know... How much, so blame, the, how much blame... And also, I was going to say, how much blame do you kind of push to Keane and Holgate? Do you think one deserves more blame than the other? Yeah. So we want to kind of throw our players under the bus here. Right, right, right. No, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Again, so Keane is not a leader, right? I I, I think we're pretty clear about that. So even at his best at Burnley, he was never the leader of that defense, right? He's So he does well, like you said, I think paired up with a player like Mina, who's pretty vocal. and, And I think he's like when Mina's on the pitch, he... He pretty much marshals the, the entire back line. And when Mina's out, I, I think that's where we start running into trouble. So whether it's a back two or a back three with Keane in there, I, I think the, the leadership is not there, right? So, uh, you know, I think much has been said about on the second goal that uh, Keane could, you could clearly hear Keane calling that that was his ball and Holgate kind of went up for it. And then I think, didn't get it, sort of obstructed Keane's view. And then Keane headed, headed it right back at Holgate, and then that caused that whole rut. So I think with Keane back there, players like Holgate and Godfrey aren't getting that sense of someone's, someone's got my back, right? Uh, which I think it's different when they've got Mina back there. So, yes, miscommunication... You think English speaking Michael Keane is less of a communicator than not English speaking Yerry Mina? You know, <laughs> I, 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 don't care, I don't care what, how, how Mina says, get the heck out of my way, but yeah. clearly everyone listens, right? Yeah, Where, yeah no, that, that's true. You're right. I, it is a no, no, no. I, I think it's a fair point you make. I just It's funny with Keane, isn't it? Because I agree with you, he's not a particularly commanding centre back. I think Michael Keane's very dependent on who you partner with him. Like yes, yeah, absolutely. Him, like you've seen with uh, Zuma before when he played with right. him that season under uh, Silver. Yeah. He is... I've, 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 I would attribute more blame to him than Holgate on Friday. Sure. Because I think... Well, A, Keane is the more senior centre-back. But also, yeah. I don't think Holgate... The first goal, I don't think he did anything wrong, really. Because Kane would have been offside if not for Keane's header, I think. Right, exactly. Second one, I don't know whether 
Keane gives him a shout, Holgate shouts here late because Holgate's over the airball and when Keane misses the comes across, yeah. Um yeah, I think I think my my hunch is with Keane that I think we will uh, probably need a, a, him as maybe a squad player and maybe to mm-hmm. look at maybe Mina and Godfrey next season uh, or maybe Mina and Holgate. But, you know, I don't want to go all in on him because actually he has been pretty good for most of the season. So I don't want to be- he has. He's, he's had a better season than at least last season for sure. So, again, yeah, don't necessarily want to pile in on him too much right now. But He's he he's got he's got some 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 room for improvement there definitely. Uh, but again, Keane's not a leader. I I'm not comfortable with Keane. Uh, that's why Keane's never going to be captain on this team, right? Uh, he, he's just he doesn't have it. He's he, he's a wonderful guy, right? He's he's soft spoken, but unfortunately, he carries that into his play. He's he's almost he's almost apologetic when he plays, and it's like, yeah. damn it, you're you're a big boy. Carry yourself like like you own the own your part of the pitch, right? Um. And obviously, kind of news today is that Mourinho has been sacked. I mean, <laughs> what did you make? What did you? Uh, what was your initial reaction to that news? The timing, just the, the timing. Yeah. I mean, they got insane, the final on right? Sunday, haven't they? But, I mean, I'm speaking to one of the guys <laughs> at the Spurs SB Nation site, and he says he thinks mm-hmm. it probably decided after Friday and just kind of went through the sort of right. realities of it. But yeah, it seems weird when yeah. they got the final on there. It also seems weird that if his job was on the line, then he didn't go for it more. Spurs <laughs> were pretty dreadful. I, I think I did put that out on Twitter, but had we beaten Spurs on Friday, wonder if it would have still taken till Monday for this yeah. news to come out with Mohim getting sacked. Yeah, I think um, I was, you know, I wonder where Spurs would be without King because certainly on Friday they had nothing really going for them apart from him. No, even then, even then it was too. Two very good finishes, but two finishes from pretty glaring defensive mistakes from Everton. So. Well, uh, so I, I, I'll add another dimension to that, right? It, it, does Keane have a sixth sense in knowing where the ball is going to land? Because those yeah. were just ridiculous bounces. And guess where they landed? Right in his periphery. And it's like, come on. You know, and yeah. and, and I think truth be told, uh, you know, Dom's a good striker, but Dom doesn't finish those two chances. We'd be lucky if he finishes one of those chances. I mean, Kane's good. You, you gotta give you gotta give him credit. I think um, just go through some of Pete's stats as well from this game. Um, obviously, two very lovely goals, or one very lovely goal from Everton. But the build-up to the penalty was actually, I thought, pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. Um, but the expected goals Everton uh, was two point two six for them and one point four eight for Tottenham, which kind of. It's a, it's a vast improvement on uh, Brighton, where I think it was 0.31. And also, we had the most yeah. shots on target, the joint most in any of our Premier League games yeah. since uh, Leeds in late November. Um, yeah, Pete, like I said, two two mistakes, two goals. Yeah. Um, only two outfield players completed less than 70% of their passes, which is, um, again, another vast improvement on... The previous game where it felt like Evan Crow. <laughs> we were awful against Brighton in passing. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And even then, the, set, the two underneath 70 were Josh King, who got 10 minutes, and Luca Dean, who got 68.9, according to Pete's yeah. stats. So, right. Um, yeah, I think this this kind of needs to be the benchmark for the season. I know we didn't get the win, but I feel like if we, if we replicate this level of performance and then just cut out the this sort of hammering yeah. defending at times, then um, we stand ourselves a much better chance of finishing higher at the league. Um, this is now obviously the 
first time since December 2018 as well that we've gone five without a win um, in the Premier League, which I don't think is that as much of a... I mean, the last time that happened, the fifth game was we got beat 6-2 by Tottenham, so the mood feels yeah. more positive now. Somehow they're always involved. And I feel like there's more yeah. getting fucked with this time than there was then. I think then, you know, I feel like we're getting there this time. And there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of caveats. End of the season, yeah. what feels pretty drained. Um, right, right, I'm, right. I'm fairly confident we will win at least one game the rest of the season. So, um, But yeah, I think overall, decent point for Everton, but one which you look at and think maybe a tinge of regret. Could have been more, yeah. should have been more. Yeah. Um, but certainly yeah. a step forward. If they found a pretty big step forward, I would say, on, on the Brighton draw. Um mm-hmm. And I think reason to be optimistic going into the uh, Arsenal game on Friday, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but first, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll be back uh, with Pat from RBM. He's going to talk about his experience on the uh, USA Live event that Everton held on Saturday. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk to Pat uh, Maribo from RBM now. Um, he was one of the lucky uh, guys who was invited to Everton's USA Live event on Saturday. Um, he was invited onto a Zoom call. We spoke to a number of uh, Everton icons, I guess you could say. Pat, first of all, how are you doing? Doing well, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Um, do you want to just kind of tell people what the, what you got to do and what the experience was like and, and how much you enjoyed it? Because it seems to go down real. All the accounts I've read of it seem to seem to have been a real success, and and uh, everyone seems to really enjoy it. Yeah, no, it, it was it was great. Um, it was it was a day long event on Saturday. It started around eleven a.m. my time and ended around four p.m. my time. And yeah, there was a few few hundred people in a in a Zoom call, which was great. You know, it was nice, kind of being able to put put a face to a name, you know, I've, I've only been able to interact with a lot of these Evertonians on social media and whatnot, and being able to kind of, you know, talk to them and, you know, see everyone's, you know, kid collection and whatnot was, was very cool. And there was also like a little chat, you know, feature in the zoom call as well. And people were, you know, just talking about their favorite memories and saying hello from all over the country too. There are people from Oregon and Florida and California. And it was, it was very cool. It was definitely a very, um, you know, wide array, wide array of uh, people in attendance. So it was, it was, it was great. Who did, you, who did you get to talk to on it? Who was on it as like a, as the guests? So, yeah. So it started off with a, with a video message from Big Dunk, which got a lot of applause and cheers from uh, the people watching. And then uh, Marcel Brands came on. He was, he was a treat to listen to. And he actually answered one of my questions, which also uh, got me very excited as well. Uh, his favorite American destination is Florida in case anyone was wondering. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a real treat. I think that going into it myself and a lot of other fans, you know, based in America, were wondering when, you know, the next preseason American tour would be since they hadn't been here since 2013. And then I think before that was 2011. Um, and so Marcel was asked that question and he said that, you know, they're, they're working on, you know, coming back to the States very soon. Uh, I'm sure with COVID that kind of messed with their plans a little bit, but uh, definitely a lot of positivity in terms of that uh, since we've been kind of itching to get the team back over here in the States for the past few years now. So definitely, definitely good news on that front. And also, I guess the other big news from uh, Marcel was the news about Seamus Coleman, you know, and 
possibility of him, you know, getting a coaching position at Everton after his playing career is over, which was also another great thing to hear. You know, I think that Leighton Baines has been doing a great job since his retirement. Um, you know, hopefully uh, they can convince Seamus to stay around too. Yeah. I think you also had uh, was Decore on it as well, I think, and Holgate. Um, did I see, <laughs> I see Roger Bennett, who's been on the podcast as well, was on it for a bit as well, yeah. talking about his... Um, who was who is the most kind of apart from Brands who who kind of stood out as the most kind of entertaining guest to I think you had Willie Kirk as well, didn't you, from the women's team or something? Yeah. Yeah, who, no. Who, who yeah, was yeah. kind of the standout guest for you? Well, Tim Howard was definitely oh, Tim you know, Howard, the, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh he was he was the big one. He he probably stayed on for the most amount of time too. He was on for about thirty minutes and uh he was just kind of talking about his favorite memories with the team and he was talking about his, you know, top five favorite saves and you know, we all watched a kind of highlight clip of the of the penalty shootout against Man U in the semifinals of the FA Cup. And, oh, yeah. And that, was, that was, today, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool watching him react to that. And he kind of you know, talked about just that whole that whole game and being able to hear from him on the penalty takers and the saves and, you know, the players on Everton st- stepping up to take the penalties too. It was, it was really cool just being able to relive that moment with him. And obviously all Evertonian fans, you know, all, all Evertonians, you know, really, you know, hold that game in high regard so it was it was cool being able to hear from you know tim um and he also just talked about you know his kind of role and you know increasing the popularity over in america i think that was just another big thing too a lot of the questions and commentary was based on you know how you know how can we grow the sport more over here and get more you know fans involved and also that connection with you know american-based evertonians um which you know there was a few people from uh, like the marketing team as well. And they were talking about their kind of ways and how they're, um, you know, trying to get, get more word about Everton over to the States uh, and whatnot. And there's also several of the American based supporter groups there as well in attendance. And they actually had a little breakout session with all the, I guess the members and the presidents of those, you know, clubs. And they were uh, kind of talking about ways that they can also, you know, engage more with, you know, across the seas and whatnot. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a great event. You know, Tim was definitely the highlight and it was nice hearing, you know, from Willie Kirk and Sandy McIver, their goalkeeper. Um, yeah. Decore was there as well. Uh, he, he talked about his kind of injury and how he's. I was going to say, he say, he say when he's going to be back. He didn't say when he was going to be back, unfortunately. No, I, I think he tried to keep that little hush hush and, you know, Carlo might've told him to yeah. not too much, but I mean, he seemed, he seemed in good spirits. We were able to chat with him for a few minutes um, but I must say, Darren Griffiths, he he did a great job, um, you know, hosting the whole event. I swear, he was standing for the entirety of the event behind this podium, uh, and he 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 ran it really well. You know, he was asking great questions and also, you know, talking to the members in the chat room and whatnot. So it, it was it was a very well run event by Everton and Darren as a whole. Um, yeah, it was it was a great day overall. Yeah, I think you say kudos to to Darren and also to to. Uh... Tony Sampson does a lot of these uh, organizing these events over out in America as well. Um, who uh, hoping to get on the pod at some point as well, just to try and talk a bit more about how Evan kind of branch out even further in America. I guess we had um, we've got a couple of guys in America now on talk talk uh, as in non RBM guys from America talk about how they feel Evan is represented in America and my the impression that I get is maybe Evan are like the seventh biggest maybe after the top six is that fair would you would you guys say yeah I mean I, I know me personally I've only met you know two Evertonians in America 
<laughs> so definitely not, not a lot over here, at least, you know, who I've met so far, but you know, it's your typical Manchester United, Manchester city and whatnot, the big clubs. Yeah. You know, if you walk into any, you know, sporting goods store in the States, you're seeing Liverpool kits, you're seeing Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, and rarely have I ever walked in and seen, you know, an Everton kit there on display. So I, I think that's what, you know, they're working on too. I know that um, Everton and I think Kazoo recently partnered up with a few American based supporters. Yeah, yeah they did. To, yeah. Try yeah. They're to trying that. to get more uh, kind of merchandise and whatnot out there as well. So I think that's, that would be a big thing too. Cause I feel like any soccer fan in America, they walk into a store and they see, you know, Everton's blue kit and they say, Hey, that's my new team. You know, I think just small things like that. So I think yeah. the fact that they're pushing for, you know, more kind of um, exposure in the States in that way is also really important as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause with like all the supporters groups and um, with, you know, events like Saturday with people like Tim Howard doing this kind of, I think he's is he kind of Everton American ambassador now. Too? He is, yeah. He's yeah. the official sort of ambassador yeah. to the US. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, was going to say, like, to to both of you, really, like, how how well represented do you feel by Everton in 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 America? Because obviously, not only is America such a massive country, but there are so many clubs to kind of to kind of uh, to pick from. Um, as Evertonians, how how much of a kind of recognition do you feel, or kind of representation do you feel in in your side of the uh, Atlantic I'll, I'll say that I'll say the club has done I think a lot better over the last couple of years with trying to engage and uh, you know just uh, energize this fan base here right um, I think like Pat said right there's probably every Everton fan knows another couple of guys in person anyway um, that they've either watched a game with or something like that. But I, I think, you know, in the last couple of years since uh, Tony got into the fans forum, right, as one of the first international members to do that, um, I, I think he's taken it on, on himself and, and he's a resident of Chicago um, to really get, uh, you know, the, 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 the American supporters groups all working together, all talking to each other and then representing and, and taking that voice to the club through the fans forum. And the club has obviously done, I think, a very good job of, of listening. Um, I, I think some of the older fans are going to say, oh, you know, we missed an opportunity when, you know, when we used to have American players on the team, right? When Howard still played, when Landon Donovan was on the team, and even further back with McBride, right? Uh, but I, I think it's never too late, right? The, the sport's growing in this country, I think. Uh, I think China and the U.S. are two of the biggest like football markets uh, that are still relatively untapped. Um, so uh, I, I think the, I think Everton doing all the right things, uh, but I, I'm really happy with the work I'm seeing from the supporters groups uh, with trying to get organized. And honestly, if it weren't for COVID, uh, you know, yesterday's event would probably have been an in-person event, and that would have been an even even bigger success, right? If you think about it, so. Um, again, I think as soon as we can start traveling again, and I think when things open up again and we get back to you know, normal, whatever the new normal is going to be. But, uh, you know, I think one of my favorite parts about football culture in the U.S. Um, is the Saturday morning going to the pub to watch a game with fellow Evertonians, right? 
uh, it's a bit of a hike for me. It's uh, like almost an hour's drive into the heart of Boston, which I hate doing. But on a Saturday morning, eh, you know what? I'll do it. And if it's it's one of those early games, I don't mind drinking at six in the morning. I'll live. That's fine. So yeah, it's it's really an atmosphere. I mean, I've been to uh, like uh, derbies at the pub and, uh, you know, it's half bars reds and half bars blues and, everyone's yelling at each other and yeah, you know sure some 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 stuff starts flying across the room but hey you know what that's fun and i, I think it, it helps build a culture it's not the match going culture that's you know in england but i, I think it's a slightly different culture and uh, it's 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 growing the game it's it's uh, people supporting the teams that they love and uh, you know there's, there's nothing bad to be said about that yeah great stuff and partner you uh had plans to come over with kind of the uh, Everton USA uh, team for the, for the Chelsea game right before COVID hit, which probably, <laughs> I guess you're probably slightly glad that you, you got to miss um, <laughs> in the end. But um, yeah, fingers crossed that gets kind of rescheduled for you after uh, after kind of pan, after COVID ends and everything's kind of like kind of back to normal. Um, just to finish off, do you want to tell us a bit about this um Trivia game that you've mentioned in the uh, kind of yeah. write-up. You've passed me in a bit of a write-up for the for the website about what happened uh, on Saturday as well. So be sure to check that out when it's up. Um, but yeah, if you want to just talk, do you want to just talk about this? What's it called? Kahoot. Yep. Yeah. Kahoot. Yeah. There. Was, yeah. To finish to finish the day off, there was a big Kahoot quiz on you know any and everything Everton. Um, and I actually had my mom come in too because I want she doesn't know really anything about Everton. She was going to come on the trip with me last, you know, last spring, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I needed, you know, another head in there to help me win this sign sign Jersey that they were giving away to the winner. And there was about, I think 60 or 70 people around at that point who, who, you know, stuck it out for the whole day. And uh, I think I ended up finishing 15th out of around 60 or so. Um, my mom finished dead last, but you know, I, I was <laughs> able to, you know, kind of, I, I was, I was very happy with how I finished. There was, there was one person uh, who was who was winning like the entire thing. I think there was like 35 questions. And on the 32nd question, someone leapfrogged him to get into first. And you could hear the people on Darren's side oh. like, clapping, cheering and stuff. Because all, all of his staff were just watching this game anxiously to see because this guy had gotten 32 questions in a row right. And then someone leapfrogged him right at the end. And everyone, oh, you could hear. Yeah, it was, it was very intense. Uh, but I'm happy with 15. I will try to improve on those numbers. <laughs> event happens next year um, yeah i i know there's a lot of very knowledgeable evertonians that were in attendance so not too upset um but yeah it was it was, it was a great way to end the day yeah good stuff like i said it sounds like you had a great, great time and a really uh, worthwhile experience and really good for everton to like i said put this event on uh pat thanks thanks very much for it's been really uh interesting to listen to kind of what you we got to do on 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 Saturday and, and like you said great to know how I'm kind of representing you guys over in the state so so yeah thanks very much for, for coming on yeah thanks for having me Matthew. nice time with you as well Calvin yeah no yeah. problem okay yeah, good, good talking to you Pat yeah great stuff um after the break me and Calvin are gonna <laughs> talk about slightly less positive news with the uh with the uh, news about the Euro- European Super League which surfaced this weekend Okay, uh, right. Let's get into let's get, let's get into the kind of elephant in the room at the moment with the Super League uh, nonsense. <laughs> call it nonsense, can't you? Could. Um, yeah. So this weekend it was announced eventually that 
12 clubs have signed up to this super league. Are you super with uh, imaginary inverted commas? Um, <laughs> All right. So who are they again? There's the six, the top sort of big six in England, Arsenal, City, United, Chelsea. Yeah. There is the two Real, Atletico, uh, Barcelona, yeah, Arsenal. Juventus, and then the two Milan clubs. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, Calvin, you've written a piece about the 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 sort of ramifications, I guess, and also the sort of minutiae of it. Do you want to just kind of start by talking us through what it means for yeah football and also your sort of instant reaction <laughs> to it as well, which I guess will probably be the same as virtually everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, all right. So I, I'll try to do this two ways. All right. So I'm, I'm going to try to be completely neutral and just state the facts, and then and then I'm going to weigh in. All right. So. Um, the, the Super League, again, um, it's, it's not so much a super in terms of performance as it is, is I think, financial clout of the, of the clubs involved. Um, uh, I, I think the goal they had in mind is to have about 15 to 18 permanent members and then a rotating cast of teams uh, number to be decided that would switch through every year. Seems like oh, they could only get... Uh, 12 teams uh, from three countries to get uh, sort of, I I guess, to buy in and to be publicly, um, I guess, backing this uh, proposal. And uh, and then I think there's still rumors flying around that Bayern Munich and Dortmund and possibly Porto from Portugal are are also going to join. Um, They apparently declined, I think. That was why. Oh, did they? Okay. Tell me me Porto, I think, declined. Anyway, Karen. Yeah. Again, I think it's interesting. I believe uh, one of the big holdups is, is that German clubs are actually cannot be privately owned. I believe they're 51% publicly owned and 49% can be held privately. Um, yeah. So basically, they would need to have their shareholders you know, chime in and say, yeah, we are for this or we are against this. And clearly, that was not going to happen over the matter of a weekend. And I think that's been part of the holdup. Um, I, I, you know, I think... Anyway, so getting back to the format of it, right? So it, there's no surprise as UEFA and all the all the all the all the domestic leagues and the domestic uh, football associations um, immediately, I think, got on the horn and you know crafted a statement together saying, "Yep, any team that tries to break away is immediately going to be suspended from all um, domestic football yeah. for all means and purposes, all their cups." Um, I think UEFA is pretty toothless in that. What they, with, where they do have teeth, they showed it, right? They said that as far as national competitions go, any players from these teams that participate in the Super League will not be able to represent their countries in any UEFA sanctioned tournaments. Yeah. Um, and, and also, think, Alexander, also just to add to that, Alexander Sheffer in the chief exec, I think mm-hmm. he uh, said or has threatened to, to kick these clubs out of European competition as well, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, which could be significant considering this game's now next week, right? Yeah. So uh, so it's interesting. I think both sides have pretty much laid their markers down, and it's right now I think it's a bit of a staring contest, as in who blinks first and who makes a concession. Um, there's, again, lots of thoughts behind the timing and why this is happening. I mean, why this is happening, I think we've always known, right? There's, there's been chatter about Super Leagues going on from the 80s, right? Uh, because I think there's always a, this feeling that uh, UEFA doesn't necessarily um, 
get the best amount of revenue possible out of the Champions League. And again, the way the UEFA is distributing these monies is obviously irking the bigger clubs. They don't necessarily want to see it shared out with the Uzbekistan champions and the Turkish champions, for that matter. Um, I, I think they, the, the bigger clubs want a bigger piece of the pie, which the Super League offers. I, again, I, I think it's going to get very interesting in the next couple of weeks. Um, in all honesty, even though they're talking about playing starting next season, I, I don't see how this happens. I, I think this is going to get bogged down in the courts for the next two years. Um, it, it might just be posturing because I think UEFA is supposed to be announcing something today about their newly reformatted Champions League with mm. the Swiss-style league format, which just seems to be even more confusing. Um, so again, on one hand, it, it's difficult to portray the UEFA and the Premier League as the good guys in this case because, I mean, God knows we've, we've had enough conversations about how they're destroying the game and um, I mean, when you look at the European Championship and like, what is it, is 32 teams that go to the competition right now? I mean, how mm. many countries are in Europe right now? So you might as well just have everyone play the Euros if you're going to keep doing this. So, uh, you know, on one hand, I, I get making the tournaments bigger to give more teams exposure, but then you have to then be aware that you're going to dilute the quality of the tournament, which we've seen happening whether it's the World Cup, whether it's the Euros or the Champions League now for that matter. Everyone wants a piece of the pie. So there's really, I don't think there's any good guys here, but definitely the way the Super League's gone about and founded itself and um, with all the clubs now that have been part of it or are part of it, the way they've announced it, I think they've, they've really ticked off a lot of their own fan bases too. Um, yeah. I think from those 12 teams, I think you'll see a clear demarcation of um, some fans who are like, this is garbage, we're selling out, this is you know, selling the soul of the game, there's been lots of sound bitey type things you're going to hear. And then there's the other guys who are like, I think, trying to be more pragmatic and saying, hey, I'm not going to stop supporting Real Madrid because that's my team, because if they're going to play, I'm going to support them. So again... Is the Premier League so like Leeds is supposed to play Liverpool tomorrow, uh, today, right? So does that game go ahead? Does do the Liverpool? I I, I want to see how the Liverpool players react to this. How uh, Klopp re- reacts to this, right? Uh, is uh, like why are they even playing at this point, right? Are we just well, what are they not going to be? Yeah. What have they got to play for if they're going to leave? That's, that's... Right, exactly. So if they are leaving, in that case, then. What are we doing? Are we going to scrap all their results from this season? Which yeah. is really going to suck for us because we finally actually win some games against. No, the we six. <laughs> I think we keep the point. Um, but no, I, don't <laughs> mean, I think what annoys me about it is terms of timing. I mean, it would annoy me any any time. But I think Gary Neville, in one of in one of many, you know, very astute points he made yesterday was. Um, to do it during a pandemic when, you know, you've got League One and League Two nationally and non-league clubs in England living pretty much hand-to-mouth on sort of government grants and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, after you've already seen Berry go bust, Macclesfield go bust as well, Bolton very nearly go bust. Yep. Um, and also the fact that all the games are behind closed doors, so it's not like you're going to get sort of protests at matches, really. From, right. I know you had people outside Anfield today putting up banners and things, but certainly not on the same scale as you would inside the ground. At, at, right. At, 
um, so it feels very politically charged in that sense. Um, another thing that kind of annoys me about this is the fact that a lot of these clubs are very high on sort of promoting sort of eco-friendliness and things like that, and now they want to kind of jet off across the continent. Yeah, right? Um, it's, yeah, hypocritical, yeah. right? No, yeah. and, and then I think... I just feel, I mean, the obvious thing to say is it's greedy because, you know, they play more high-profile games, they'll get more money. But also, you know, teams like, I don't don't want to name teams, but certainly the sort of lower echelons of the Premier League, Mm -hmm. you know, if they play these teams and they get put on telly against these teams, then that could be a massive windfall for them. You see it like in the FA Cup when... All the time, right. When lower league teams draw sort of one of the top six, then... Mm -hmm. You know, it's a massive money spinner for them, and they're going to miss out on that because of. Yeah. You know, I remember, um, who was it? Shrewsbury when they played Liverpool, and they got you know they were able to fund like basically new training ground or new kind of. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a massive difference. I don't think you can underestimate it just by saying, "Oh well, it's only a few tens of thousands." Well, because that is a lot more money to these sort of lower clubs than it is to these. Um, these guys. Yeah. Yeah, and and your point about. This season is is bang on because I mean, what does it mean? I mean, there is there is a meeting scheduled tomorrow, Tuesday, for the other fourteen clubs, which is going to be hosted by Richard Masters, the chief executive of Premier League. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of really causing us a question. I think the integrity sort of um, integrity of this this season. Yeah, it does. What do you think will happen? <laughs> Do you think, I mean, first of all, do you think that the Super League will actually happen full style? And you've already said it won't happen this season. Yeah. What's, what's kind of, because it does feel like every single person, I've never seen anything so sort of unanimously uh, opposed, certainly through Twitter anyway. But and yeah, right. none of these people's opinions are the ones that matter. It's the owners, isn't it? <laughs> so it's interesting, right? So, I, I, like I said, the Super League, that, that chatter has been around forever. Right. And that's nothing new. And it, it's always been a different, um, you know, cast of clubs that were going to break away. So this is the first time it's I think this is the first time it's gone so far. I mean, as far as this. Right. I mean, you have clubs, they they they've actually, I guess, signed some documentation and stuff. So I think that they've gone pretty far again. I it really is going to come down to who blinks first, because I. This this is this is a problem for the game, right? Um, if there's anyone who, even a lower league team, right, who who says, "Hey, this doesn't bother me. This is not my problem." That's that's not true. This is going to change the game if it goes through. Even if it doesn't go through, there's a certain amount of goodwill that's being lost here, I and there's gonna. Yeah. So yeah, it's already too late, right? So I, I think it's a, it a very bold decision for this these 12 to, to go this far and to, to go ahead and, uh, you know, break away. So whether it happens or not, there's definitely going to be some, some, like a sour taste in the mouth going forward. But, you know, going back to, foot, you know, the, the actual football, right? If the Premier League does not throw these six teams out, right? Then basically, they, these the Sky Six, as we call them, right? They've won, right? They've yeah. they've had their cake and they're eating, and that's that that just shafts everyone. So I I don't know how this is gonna get resolved. I'm I'm very curious. I I know I'm gonna be pretty livid 
either way, right? But if, if the Sky Six stay in and they continue to play their normal games, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna be pretty pissed yeah. off. I, I think that I think that's that's completely just destroying the game. But you you think that if they if they do break away to this Super League, yeah, you think you think that they should be all kicked out of the domestic competition? I yeah, I think so. And and, and Champions League and yeah, and the Champions League, which yeah. follows, right? Yeah, and and again, whether whether the individual players get punished or not, that you know that's that's a I think that's a second argument, secondary argument. But as far as getting these teams thrown out of the domestic league, I think that's going to be very interesting because I don't think the Super League is sustainable without those teams playing domestic football too. No, yeah, I agree. I would say right. that um, for me, I I agree that they they would have to leave. For me, it's a, it's not a conflict of interest, but it's just. Like you said, you can't have every piece of the pie, you know. It's um, no, and I also think I think the Premier League will probably take a massive hit financially if these well, they will if these six clubs leave. They will, but yeah. I actually think competitiveness in a way might actually grow from this because you have a more, a more level playing field. I mean, obviously, Everton obviously richer than say, yeah, you know, Sheffield United or Burnley, for example, just to talk to you. You know, there is not exactly perfect parity there. But yeah. it makes it just it may it will make it more more equal. And I think, yeah, like I said, more more competitive than just the same six clubs going through. I know they're not this season necessarily, but going, you know, yeah. Higher. And so we'll you know, I, I'm gonna use a cricket metaphor here because I, I think cricket has seen something similar happen, right? Uh, with the whole thing behind the IPL and even, uh, again, for some of the older folks, if you remember something called the Kerry Packers World Series of Cricket, it, it was the same thing where they tried to get this, like they tried to get the elite players, if you will, playing only against other elite players. So um, just just the IPL, the way it is structured right now, right? I think there was some concerns that it would completely ruin, say, the county championship, for example. Um, it didn't necessarily do that, but that's also because I think they found a way to coexist. Um, this is a little different with these clubs and, and because it's not like you're picking and choosing a handful of players from each club to go play for this other select club. Um, but... I, I, I don't know. Someone, someone's, someone's got, someone's got to, someone's got to step in and, and make a stance. But yep. I think um, the other thing I wanted to go on to is kind of like we touched on it before, but I mean we we're going to preview the Arsenal game, which in a way I'm kind of loath to do because what is the point of this game for Arsenal and for all and for all the top six clubs? What is the point of their remaining games if they got if they if they're hell bent on leaving and have literally nothing to play for? I mean, I guess their argument would be they want to stay in the Premier League as well. So there right. is, but personally, I don't think they should be allowed to. But no, again, like like I said, what is in it for Arsenal against Everton? On oh, this is an Arsenal team, by the way, that needed a 97th minute goal to draw with Fulham, and who are ninth right. in the Premier League, and I've already lost to Burnley and already lost to Everton at home as well. <laughs> you know, they're below Everton in the league. Yep. What is in it for them to, to go and beat Everton on Friday? Or even subsequently, right? Why would they actually try to play their semi-final in the Europa League, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if they win it or well, not. I mean, they don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I guess they'll say that's the trophy and that they kind of can can bow out of Champions League and the Europa League. If they're being forced out, then they can bow out with a trophy. But yeah, sure. Um, I mean, if we, if you really want to talk about this game, I guess one thing I would say is we don't know really how it will affect Everton's sort of European aspirations because they might be sort of suddenly finishing the top four or still. Well, did you, if you've seen the table without the, the, the Sky 6 in it, we're, we're third in the league right now behind Leicester and West Ham. Yeah. So, so I guess we're going to the Champions League anyway. But, I mean, just very quickly, do you think, just assume everything stays the same and yeah. whatever, is this a must-win for Everton now, given, given A, we didn't beat Tottenham and the ground we got to make off? Yeah, and yeah, also, definitely. You think, yeah, okay, because we haven't won at Arsenal before, have we? So, oh no, so I, yes, I'm not really, we... I'm not really bothered about the compliment, I guess, to say, but I can understand why you know, I understand the appeal of it in terms of being in Europe, right? Would you stick or twist after top with the Tottenham team or any changes that you've ah, I Richarlison's got to break out of this slum, so I'd say stay. I, I mean, but then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> it will be though. It's just I, I, I want him to succeed, but he just every time he plays, it's like, why are you on the pitch? He's but then, you, you know, there, is is it that Sigurdsson syndrome, right? You put it will be on the pitch against Arsenal, and does he turn into like a, a demon because he's got a point to prove? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll trust Carlo on this one, but I'd say stick. I'd say stick with the same lineup. But yeah, if 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 Obi's really giving you another dimension out on that side, then then pull the trigger faster. I I I liked what I saw from Josh King. I really wanted him to get that goal because I thought he had he had that in the bag. Um, but yeah, no, Iwobi really is giving us nothing. And at this point, it's yeah, yeah. yeah I would I would drop Iwobi because I don't think he's suited to playing in that sort of wing back position. Yeah. Really. You saw the fact that Seamus Coleman offered more left in like right. seconds, and that's a 32 year old right back, right? <laughs> no, he got an assist in second. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, Arsenal. I mean, you never know, we might just get awarded three points if Arsenal, <laughs> you know, if, you don't know how further, much further down the line things will be by then, but anyway. by then, yeah, yeah. Um, um but even, even whatever happens, I think certainly I go into this one with more confidence based on the Tottenham game, but. We'll I think so too. I think so too. I, 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 again, as long as Alan's not injured, I, I think we're good. I, I think we win this one. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Um, and hopefully, Everton can keep their sort of European aspirations alive. Uh, even if they were sort of guaranteed a European place on the back <laughs> of this, but we'll see. Calvin, thanks very much for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. To you guys out there, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. Gino should be back next week, I think. So uh, hopefully we'll have a win to talk about. We'll talk to you guys then. Thank you.